Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. All right, there it is. Oh my gosh, we're doing this thing, man. Here we go. I can't wait to introduce you all to my guest today. He's an absolute badass. Well, who is he, Casey? Tell us about him. Well, get this. He's a serial entrepreneur, but not just, hey, I mean, I've started companies, but this guy has had several successful exits where your company is acquired, which means he's doing right. He's finding that product market fit. He's growing companies. He's all about scale. And he's a business mentor. He's a growth marketer, a lead gen expert. And really, I would say a marketing thought leader in the space. Again, all about scaling companies. We're going to dive into that today. Co-founder of Wordsmiths, CEO and founder of Eudaimonia Health, Andrew Miller. Welcome to the show, sir. Thanks. I, I appreciate that. going to try to live up to that intro. That, that, was, that was amazing. Yeah. I mean, dude, you're doing so many things. So I can't wait to crack this thing open. I can't wait to learn about scaling. I can't wait to learn about growth marketing. So I'm going to pass you this thing. It's heavy, but I know you live in Washington now, so you work out. Here you go. Ugh. Okay, right. you got it? I, got, I right. think Take I got Thor's it. Take Thor's hammer. You got All it? All right, I got it. I got All right. it. All right, there he goes. All right. Okay. Take Thor's hammer, smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception. Set the record straight once and for all. Okay. Do my best. So as you mentioned, you know, a lot of my background's actually been in growth marketing. And one of the big myths that I've heard, and it still permeates on the internet all the time, is that every company needs a growth marketer. I don't know how many times I've heard that. It's like, no, we just need a growth marketer and then everything will be solved. Uh, but the, the, the thing I want to bring here on breaking this myth is that your pre-revenue SaaS does not need a growth marketer. You know, in fact, if you haven't found product market fit, you really do not need a growth marketer. So one of the one of the questions that that we hear is like, you know, what is a growth marketer? What are they supposed to do? So a growth marketer really helps find, you know, new traction channels for your company, right? Uh, the process of growth marketing is using data gained through marketing campaigns and experimentations to really help drive that growth. So if you have no revenue, if you haven't been able to sell your product, then you really don't need a growth marketer. Boom. Dude, you, you are cracking open something, a misconception where you are just throwing around the word growth, right? Because right. who doesn't want to grow? Yeah. Yeah. But there's a particular meaning here. And in you, if, if you, if you get the wrong, if you're not using the right definition here, you end up with the wrong person on the team at the wrong point in time. Why, why exactly. do we fall into this? Why, why do we not know about what's going on and, and make these mistakes? Yeah, yeah. So I think one of the, the biggest issues here is that the term growth marketing isn't clearly defined. And it comes originally from uh, the term growth hacking, which, you know, Sean Ellis coined and brought out there. And, you know, growth hacking, you know, you love that name at the beginning, but it's like, oh, you're just hacking things together. You're really scrappy. It's for startups. Right. You're trying to put things, to, right. you know, and figure out how to how to grow revenue as quick as possible. But I, I think that really, you know, takes away from the the principles of growth marketing and what it should do. So growth hacking, even though it was great, it got the name out there on this is a new type of marketer. This is a marketer. And Sean Ellis did a great job in saying, you know, you need to have your North Star metric. You need to map everything out. You need to have that goal at the end of the day that you're working towards. And you should also have the ability to work throughout every organization. Growth marketing isn't just marketing. You know, it's just, you're not just jumping on the marketing side and, oh, you're, you're caught in your one little corner there. You have to have the ability to look on the product side, to look on the, you know, work with sales, uh, work on the CS side and figure out new avenues to actually grow revenue and test and iterate because a lot of your exp experiments are going to fail. But I think it comes back to just misconceptions on, what the term is, and then just applying it. Oh yeah, it's growth mindset. It's it's growth marketing. You can throw that anywhere, and they'll help us. And it's like it's not actually accurate. And and when you mentioned growth hacking, right? Hacking seems small to me, right? Like to your point, if you're just hacking something together with duct tape, that does yep. not mean it's like a well polished thing. You probably haven't figured it all out yet. Right. And it, it makes me think startup fresh pre revenue SaaS exactly. It, but but this growth market completely different. Could you start at the beginning and maybe give me a timeline of 
is there a, is there a title of the marketer that ha- that you want for that that pre revenue SaaS pre product market fit? What's right. that called? Who's your like first marketer, and then when is the right time? Let's like walk through to when is the right time for the growth marketer. Right, right. So uh, I, I think it was winning by design uh, that the founder Jaco Vanderkuj, uh, amazing. They they put together so many great models out there, and it's all open source. So. Little plug there. I highly recommend anybody you know Shout check out. out their revenue architecture course, all that stuff there. It's amazing. But what they did is they actually built out a growth model, and it's very applicable to you know the, the SaaS space. And then there, it, it kind of shows you the different stages that every business goes through. So that pre-revenue you know stage, there's actually two points there, right? There's the prototype when you know you're just building out your product it's not really ready for you know game day for anybody to really see it uh you're probably a bunch of engineers in the back end just kind of fixing things and putting it together to try and get something yeah hacking it together right and you could bring on a marketer then to just you know build up some interest talk about you know what's what's coming in the future but you know, I'd say your best marketers at that time are your founders. You know, your founders should go out there and evangelize, you know, the company yeah. and talk about what you're you're working on and what you're going to build and that dream and that vision. Hiring a marketer to come in and try to figure out what hasn't actually been created yet will be very difficult because you're going to have a lot of mixed signals there. After the prototype, you'll finally have an MVP. You'll have something that's ready to go out and bring in probably your network, you know, your close friends, uh, people that have shown interest uh, within your network that you think, hey, this could be a good closed, you know, beta group. Uh, and, and then again, you, you probably don't need a full time marketer at that point. Uh, depends on if you've raised, you know, like a large pre-seed or a seed round uh, and, and depends on how you want to build that out. But I, I wouldn't recommend bringing on a growth hacker at that time. It just doesn't make sense yet. Uh, you're just trying to figure out, you know, is there any interest at all? Once you move from the MVP phase, then you actually get into that product market fit. And on a revenue standpoint, I mean, there's no clear definition that this this is product market fit and you've, you've perfectly found it. But a good scale that they, they give on the growth model is basically from zero to a million. You know, within that zero to a million uh, phase, you're really just learning how to price your product. You've gone beyond your core network of people that you know to people that you know, are outside of that group that may not have ever heard of you before, but you're pitching to them, you're talking to them, and ideally, they're paying you, you know, you're figuring out will people pay you for this product. And so that's whenever you're figuring out product market fit. Once you've really, you know, figured out that people will pay you for this, and your your customer acquisition cost is not going to be great. Uh, It's going to be very, very high. But that doesn't matter at this point. It's really just figuring out are people willing to pay you money uh, for the service that you brought into this world. And if it's a yes, awesome. You're trying to, you know, scrape things together. At this point, you could have a generalist market. You could have that first marketer that's mostly a generalist that, you know, maybe just focuses on one traction channel. One, one of the things that I've seen a lot is you could get from zero to a million using one marketing channel. If you're consistent oh. about it, if you follow through, I mean, and, and you're testing and looking at the data, you know, and this this is actually working. But let's say you decide from a marketing standpoint, you're just going to focus on, you know, helping your sales team do, you know, outbound. Uh, so there's sure. sales involved in there, but you just focus on that and that can help you hit that million, you know, million mark. Just be consistent about that. Um that's actually one of the ways that I used. Uh, I worked for a company called Interfinancial a long time ago, uh, and with them, they had you know really no revenue. It was the CEO, and I'm the, the first marketer. You know, had a growth, which they didn't need a growth person at the time, and that's all we did. I just did outbound for them and basically built out a process that as soon as they showed interest, went over to the CEO. He jumped on the call and he was the salesperson, and he closed them. And we built out a funnel. I think it was over six million dollars from zero to six million pipeline just through that channel. So it, it works. Once you found product market fit, then you move into a phase called go to market fit. And that's really learning to sell, you know, the product. Uh, you, so you move from learning to price your product. to now you're learning to sell your product. That's when you can bring on a growth marketer. That's when you can start, you know, testing out new traction channels, bringing them on board uh, and helping to kind of 
you know, see these are scalable methods for us to get beyond that million or these are not and just have them focusing and working throughout the entire company. Uh, And then there's other phases after that, right? Scale up to fit. That's whenever you start really getting big after 10 million or so. But that's kind of the the model that they put together. And I think it's, it's beautiful and why reinvent the wheel. It makes a lot of sense to me. Beautiful. I mean, that puts in so much context. I don't think we talk enough about this in marketing. And so we're, we're, we're not very intentional. You know, you might go from one job to the next job and right. you might inadvertently get, get yourself from a, a growth role to more of that early generalist startup right. role and be confused why the methods that worked in one place didn't work in the other. Just like, yeah. you know, how we, we harp on people for not treating B2B like you might treat B2C. Yes, there's right. some crossover, but like, Keep in mind, there's a different, you know, there's more people involved. There's other things yeah. happening. Uh, so we have to keep in mind that there is this different style of marketing that's needed to help Absolutely. the organization out. I love this. And so in your sweet spot, the place you love to hang out is that is that growth area. It really is. It really is. Um, I, I've worked at all stages of companies, right? Like I mentioned earlier, sure. you know, pre-revenue, uh, all the way up to, I was a, a CMO for an organization that when I joined, we were at 400 million in ARR and we moved up to 500 million. But I really found- it's an you extra know, 100 mil. Right, right. Deal. Yeah, yeah. It was great. It was great. Really? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I really found my sweet spot uh, coming into organizations that just found product market fit, right? So they're usually- and, and they're, they're higher than the million. So they're usually about like six, three to six million in ARR. Yeah. And they're trying to scale up to that 50 or 100 million, you know, price point. And it's within that group that you were talking about, you know, B2C versus, you know, B2B. Uh, you know, there are in, in our playbooks that we bring in, you know, there are some repeatable playbooks that you can bring in to that, that space whenever you're at like that three to six million getting up to 50 and 100. But not all of those things actually work in different, you know, niches. So when I was at Process Street, some of the stuff that we did there, it's like, oh yeah, I can just repeat this and bring it over when I joined Agorapulse. And it's like, well, I can build some foundational elements here that makes sense, but this is a completely different niche. You know, business process management versus social media management, very, very different. The buyer is different. And so you have to use those creative elements. And that's that's one of the things on the B2C side that a lot of people harp about, right? That's another myth that we're not gonna bust, but why is B2B so boring? Why aren't you building in like all the creativity from B2C? It's like, well, you can, and you bring some of those nuances in there, but it's still a different market. I mean, human to human connection, but it is still different. So, yeah. Why is B2B so boring? You you open that Pandora box. (laughs) Oh no. You you gotta go there. Mentally prepare for this conversation. Uh uh But no, I I don't know. I, I feel like, we just b2b has a bad rap of being legacy you know uh, we're all very business professional you know you have to talk to them about just you know the roi and and that's it uh but at the end of the day the the decision maker and the purchasers you know they're humans and they want to be entertained they want to be engaged and then you'll stand out from the hundred thousand other pitches that the CMO or the CEO is receiving by email every day uh, by having something unique and interesting in there. And that's why you see, um, you know, these B2C companies. Uh, I just got I just got upsold on a B2C side. Uh, we were talking about, you know, uh, keto earlier but from this company called Keto Chow. Yeah, yeah. And I got hit with a Facebook ad. And I never give in to these Facebook ads, but <laughs> it was a beautiful story. It was so well written and so well produced. And it had like this witch in there that was brewing up, you know, magic potions. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's at the end of the day, it's a shake, right? It's a shake that is, you know, a keto shake that you can, you know, mix in and it helps you with your diet and all that stuff. But I was just like, this is great ad. I sent it to my wife. She watched the whole thing. It was like five minutes. I never sit through a five minute ad. I'm like, wow, you take that and you apply that on the B2B side where it's like interesting and engaging. You can catch people at the right moment. Uh, it's just like, yeah, it'll, it'll still work because it creates those, you know, human, it'll hit the the human connections and you'll be like, oh yeah, I want to try this. Yeah. And maybe, you know, it's, it's that weird thing, that balance of, I want to be professional and can you trust my company with your right. growth stage enterprise money, right? right. Can, or are we some 
are we hacking? Are we growth hacking? It's almost like the bigger yeah. you get, the more serious you have to be. I mean, I was chatting with, I don't know if you know, uh, Travis Tyler, Panda Doc. He mm, dressed as a yeah. panda on, uh, you know, on a podcast because why not, right? If that's yeah. your logo, why not dress as a panda? I would, but, but then there's this thing of like, oh, does that mean it's, it's, it's too fun to be right. enterprise? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you still have to have the social proof behind your business. You still have to have been around, you know, a little while. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're on like G2 Crowd, Captera, all, all those, you know, business to business sites that people are looking, reviewing, you have to have some background behind it so that you can have fun as well. So I think it's it's a good balance. Right. And I guess it depends on the culture of the company. I mean, if your core values happen to have have fun in them, yeah. well, then you you must. Yeah. But if it's be boring. <laughs> absolutely. Then you also look at the price point, right? So, I mean, if you're going, you know, enterprise selling a product there where people are going to be paying you 100, 150K, you know, a year, you can have fun, but you still have to have that background. While like keto chow, I mean, 20 bucks, you know, I'll buy a, you know, a box of some stuff. And it's like, yeah, it, it's a much lower barrier to cross. So, right. so there's those other, you know, factors to play into. I mean, I guess if it was like, you know, here, get this surgery that will permanently fix mm. your body. Right. Uh, and, then, and the doctor's dancing around. You're like, oh, I got too much Novocaine. You'd be like, ah. You have to know your audience too, right? <laughs> right. So if, right. You're, if, you're, if you're selling to, you know, SaaS startups, you can have fun because that's built into a lot of the culture. And they do have, you know, the funding behind them that they can do enterprise, you know, deals and everything and be totally fine. But yeah, it's just understanding your audience on there. If, yeah. It's probably stage related too, right? Like early yeah. stage, attract right. people in with that other stuff. And then, you know, maybe you button up that collar as they're starting to, you know, look at that DocuSign. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd love to take us back to about, like, thanks for going down that path with me. Yeah, uh, I'd love to take us back to when you mentioned, you know, getting at a company. I don't remember which one it was where you were at 400 and you went to 500, right? Just right. an extra million, 100 yeah. million, no yeah. big deal. NBD. Yeah. Talk to me about, early on when you first got there and then how you assess it, you know, growth Oof. marketing, what you, you're looking at this thing. You're like, okay, we're at 400 and you want to take it to that next place. What were your, some of your first thoughts? Yeah. So that, that was a really interesting experience. Uh, I, I'd say that the organization, uh, so it was in the auto industry, right? And so within okay. this organization, they had 26 plus subsidiaries underneath it. It's a very private organization. There was no outside funding. Uh, it was basically a self-made business uh, from two wow. very amazing people that I, I'm not going to say their name because they're very private people, but like the, the, the CEO and everything's phenomenal. Most charismatic individual I've ever met in my life. Uh, and so it was an on-premise job in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, so they had I think it was something like uh, 15 different auto dealerships underneath them. They had the construction companies under there. They had everything that's needed to make sure that that wow. was working. And so they didn't really have a good online presence. And that's very typical of you know the auto industry, especially you know when I did this, which was, I don't know, eight plus years ago or so, uh, whenever I joined them. Uh, they outsourced everything, traditional media. They were probably the largest spend in the local geo uh, through, you know, radio ads, all that stuff. But online, they really didn't have good digital body language uh, or digital presence. And then they also, um, you know, didn't really have the team there. So what they did when they brought me on is they basically said, we want to build everything internally. So you have all the resources, which, which was great, to build the team internally, whatever you need. Uh, and we're here to just support you and, you know, basically knock roadblocks out of your way. I'm like, okay, awesome. This is great. I, I actually joined as director of digital marketing when I started within a very short period of time, I got bumped up, you know, the chief marketing officer. I had one person who was working with me, uh, at the time who just was a generalist marketer. And then we had all these outsourced companies and agencies that we were doing. So we had to basically contract everything down, bring it inside. Uh, I became a recruiter plus building the strategy. So I was interviewing people all the time. Uh, within six months, we actually I had six different departments that I built out with uh, you know director level people uh, and 25 team members in total uh, to really help implement what we needed to do. The, the bigger thing behind that was, and the reason that I dedicated the time I did to it is because with this organization, they're still very legacy, right? So they believed in a term, this is within the auto industry, that's called, you work bell to bell. 
So that's 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. every day, except Sunday. You know, Sunday I slept, but I was back in the office 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. You know, doing this, the, the literal grind in the office. But what they wanted to do was move away from kind of like the sleazy car guy, you know, mentality that, oh, you're going in there, they're, they're, they're going to hard sell me, it's horrible, I, I don't want to do this, to we're, we're basically a, a pillar of society, you know, we're, we're a customer-centric brand, uh, and build that into their narrative and, and their, their story. So we did a full, you know, rebrand, re-logo, I mean, redid the logo, but it was more about creating like a human engine, and we changed a lot of the terms, all that stuff. Um, there, there, there's a really long story here that I could go on for, for hours and hours, but the, the way that we got to 100 million was really on the first day, the, the, the CEO sat me down and said, he, he says, Bubba, he's like, Bubba, <laughs> I need a 25% increase. That's, that's your goal. Hit the 25% increase. Let me know what we need to do. And that's it. So they were a company that had margins already built in. They've been around a long time. So they understood the, the foundations of, you know, we can pour some money into this up to a certain extent to grow without, you know, making a huge profit on that side. As right. opposed to, you know, some of the earlier startups get a ton of VC money, it's like grow at any cost. And then we hit what we've hit recently and all the tech layoffs happen because foundational, you know, margins aren't built into there. This company was not like that. You know, they were already at 400 million. They, they knew their cost of goods. They knew everything inside and out. They just didn't know how to do it online. Uh, and they, they wanted to change that perspective. So we had like customer no, acquisition and those kind of things too. They, you know, CAC, all the, they understood how no, much they no, 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 pay. No, 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 no. Well, so they, no, they yeah. had it generally, uh, they generally understood that from the sales side once they actually came in the door, but they didn't have any kind of like attribution built. They're very yeah, legacy yeah. built uh, business. Very. The, the details that they had were, you know, they, they, pushed out an ad on the radio and just blasted it out all the time. And so they get this many impressions and they'll get this many calls kind of. So they think it's going to cost about this much. Uh, so one of the things I did is built a digital, you know, uh, like a data department. And so with that, we built out our attribution model. And that was one of the ways that we were able to show how we hit this, you know, hundred million increase from marketing's efforts. So this much was brought in through marketing attributable revenue. This much was already like coming in through the pipeline. This much came in through these different channels. That was some of the first stuff that we did was just dive into the data. Uh, because we had larger budgets, we partnered with Nielsen. Nielsen was able to kind of jump into all of our, our data of our customers. And we mapped out, basically they use, I don't think they call this anymore call it this anymore, but it used to be called the PRISM model. I think it's called like the Claritas model now. Uh, but that had, you know, basically all the data uh, into personas uh, within like 75 different sectors. And you kind of merge those together to better understand them. And so that allowed us, yeah, to better understand the segments of, oh, we've been marketing at these people while they're not really our best performing, you know, customers. We should probably shift over there. Now that's a whole nother road about personas and if they're valuable or not. With that, this specific example, it was because we realized we've been sending a lot of you know flyers out and everything to this group when they're they're not really our ideal customer. We need to shift over here and going after this ideal customer that we realize pays us the the kind of subsector group. Um, they want to be that group and they still our message still resonated with them. So it's kind of like the ideal group. So. Okay. That, that helps us get there. We mapped everything out and then we started actually trying out a, a bunch of different, you know, traction channels because we could and we built the team, but that took some time. Tell me about the, I mean, typically you come in and you see something like a billboard or you see something like radio ads, right? Just, you know, it's not even dark web, it's dark life, you know, like you don't know it sort of, and you know, you could do the models, uh, but yeah. is it really helpful? Um, did you, were you surprised by any of those non-digital items? Were any of those keepers after mm. the process was done? Well, yes. Uh, we did keep a lot of our radio ads uh, spend. We also kept a lot of our television ads. Uh, the thing with like local geos, since we're not we're not going you know throughout the entire United States, right? And we're definitely not right. global. It's very local. So a lot of you know people in the local geo are not surfing the internet as much as we think they are from the tech side, right? We're, we're in marketing, we're, we're in B2B, you know, SaaS and tech. We think everybody's online all the time. They right. really weren't, especially at that time. You know, this was kind of pre-COVID. Um, 
people watch TV a lot and they have the local cable. They're not streaming, you know, everything, especially at this time. So the ads that went consistently, you know, it just helped build our brand with them, you know, on a continuous basis. So they might not have bought a car from us at that time, but they know our name in that space. It's like, oh, in San Antonio, you know, World Car. That's that's the company, you know, in New Braunfels area, you know who we are. That's the company because basically it was a pray and spray method that helped keep us top of mind whenever they were ready. And so much traffic. I mean, everybody already knows this, but so much commuter traffic in major, you know, metros, San Antonio, 2 million plus people. So you're on the radio all the time in traffic and you hear our ad all the time. So that, that did keep us in front of them and then drove them, you know, that and ads drove them to conversion. Amazing. Um, I want to take you back to one of the things that, that you were tasked with. And I guess the question is, were you tasked with this or was this your idea to take everything internal? You had one person on your team right. and you eventually built out six different departments. Yeah. Was that your call? Was that part of the charter f- to get me that 25% increase? Where did that come from? Yeah, that, that came from the CEO. Uh, he okay. said, I, I want everything to be internal because in, in his perspective, and I, I don't 100% agree with it because I'm biased. I have my own agency, but I've also seen <laughs> right, the right. benefit from agencies um, and the negative, you know, the horror stories from agencies. He had had um, agencies that he'd worked for that he didn't feel were really like giving the attention that was necessary. They weren't performing at the level that, that they needed to. And to be very transparent, some of the agencies that I talked to when I joined uh, and started looking at their their numbers, they couldn't give me the basic data that I needed. I'm like, okay, so you're running all these paid ads. You know, what, can, can you show me the full funnel? You know, how you spent this yeah. much, I get that. You sent me the impressions, I get that. But how many signed up and came into the, you know, the showroom? And then after, got to, after getting in the showroom, how many actually, you know, purchased the car? Can you show me that data? And they didn't have that. I mean, that would have made my life so much easier that I come in, come in and they're running these ads and I could see the whole funnel boom, I'd be way ahead of the game, but had to map that all out from, from the get-go. And so that, that was, there were some issues there. So we, yeah. we let go of a few agencies, but at the same time, I, I don't know if they actually got all the access from you know our, our CEO and our team sure, sure. to allow yeah, them yeah. to do all that. So yeah. that, that's also one of the benefits of being internal. You have access to, to everything. They're not gonna you know, block me because they know I'm working for them. Uh, so that, that was some of the challenges. I could totally see that that being the case. Um, you know, I do really. One of the things you mentioned when you know you're asking these sim- somewhat simple or important questions, and yeah. if the vendors have a response, great. If they don't, yeah. that's been some of the fun things for me too. Is you come in and just like you know, I guess the metaphor is like a bull in a china shop. You're just like right. smash, smash, smash all these pre-existing, you know, notions and biases and, oh, this agency is great. What do yeah. they do? What do they actually do? I, I once had an SEO agency at a company I, I just started at. I'm just, okay, hey, um, you know, I'm normally pretty skeptical of, of every SEO agency right. for the record. But so, but I was like, hey, you know, you know, send me some reports, show me, you know, what you've been up to, yep. the influence you've had. And they just bombed me with like 30 Google Analytics reports, like straight out of GA, Mm. you know, save as PDF here. And they just, it was, it was clear. It was like, here's noise, right? Which might've worked on their their predecessor or a non-marketer who didn't know any better. Like, oh, this looks busy. This looks, and I was like, wait, you're showing me. Uh, So anyways, we got rid of that. Uh, Uh, But yeah, yeah. So you, you came in, you cleaned up. Do you, you know, thinking big picture now, do you see that as a potentially a growth marketing trend? Uh, you know, hmm. you get a certain size, you can afford to bring in those people and you do or not necessarily. So I think this role was a little bit different, right? So it wasn't true growth marketing when I joined. Okay. It was more of, you know, foundation building. I'm building an entire internal agency. I'm bringing on the people to handle, you know, content marketing, you know, yeah paid marketing, uh, our events, you know, everything around there. So that was a little bit, I'd say that's definitely beyond the scope of a growth marketer. Uh, with a growth marketer, what you want is somebody who isn't 
tied and managing a huge team, you know, usually. So they come in and maybe they have like a smaller team that, that they work with, but it's all about being, you know, agile. It's all about trying, you know, new, you know, new things to kind of figure out what works and what doesn't. The, the goal is to have somebody come in and say, okay, we, we haven't run an A-B test around, you know, or, or run tests around this specific traction channel. Let's go ahead and build out a model that says, we're going to run this test. This is what the cost is going to be. This is the, you know, uh, the feasibility of getting it done. Do we need dev work behind it? Do we have this like scope out what that test is going to look like and everything yeah. around there. And then they go and run a small test. So I'm not saying like something that's going to take them six months and it's going to cost, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's like, let's run a test that's going to cost 100, 150 bucks. We split it up in 10, you know, 10 bucks a day, you know, for our paid ads. And then we run it and we move fast so that we can get some data from it. And then ideally they figure out, okay, this is a winner. Let's do it again. Something similar. Let's try some, you know, additional alterations, you know, uh, versions of this and do, do it again until they get to a point that they can statistically have statistical significance to move forward and double down on that. And once you figure out that this traction channel actually works, that's not the growth market to continue doing that. Ideally, in my perspective, the growth mark, the growth team's goal is to find new revenue generating areas, prove that they actually work, test out ways that aren't going to work, and then I'll, you know document that so that you don't go down you know that the wrong path and spend a lot of money. So find small wins, double down on them to prove that this will actually work, and then you can actually like from a CMO standpoint, the CMO would come in or the VP would come in and say, okay, let's build out a team to really maintain and optimize this and move forward. And then the growth team moves over to something else uh, and tries new traction channels. And that's, that's what, where I think the growth marketer gets the most value is whenever you bring them in and understand they're testing, that's all they're doing. They're going in there and just testing new ways. And then they have to be very data driven to show that this actually works or this doesn't so that the company can come in and put a lot more budget behind it to scale that. And then the growth marketing team moves on to something else and you build out a whole department there to really grow that traction channel uh, so that it, it's, you know, it significantly impacts things. Uh, typically, the growth marketer isn't an expert on any, you know, what, they have background in a lot of channels, but they shouldn't be the one that's constantly handling your PPC. You know, that's that's not their goal. So if you have them just handling your paid and then they're just supposed to be optimizing that, that's not really the best use case for them. And I've seen that happen like, oh, growth marketer, they know how to run paid ads. Cool. They can make a landing page. Cool. So let's just have them do that for the whole company. No, because that's a different job as somebody who just optimizes and does that. So that's that's my thought process of where I found growth marketing the most beneficial is just testing in all the different you know areas, finding those traction channels, building them to show this works, and then stepping away into something else. Yeah, uh, man, so much of that appeals to me too. It kind of reminds me of the Marine Corps too. Like, send mm -hmm. us in, get it done, figure it out take right. the fort. And then when it's time to just hang out and sort of fortify, call in the army, they'll yeah, take care of it. You know, exactly. it's like, and then we'll go off somewhere else and, and do our, do our stuff. Uh, and you know, it, also, when you mentioned like, it's not really the place for optimizing, you remind me of, you ever take that strength finder test? Yeah. Strength long, finder? long time ago. I did. Long yeah. Time ago. Yeah. You know, you should dig up your results sometime and we'll swap them. But one of the guys mm. that I worked with, um, I was at EF and they actually paid for everyone on the team to take it and mm. then go out to lunch on the company's dime to talk about everyone's results. Really cool experience. Yeah. But one of the guys on my team, he, uh, we were peers, right? Um, all sort of working inter like internal agency for this company with multiple companies. And he got this thing called Maximizer. Mm. And I remember reading about that and it said like, don't bring this guy your worst campaign and, ha and, and get his help fixing it. Bring him your right. best campaign, right? Mm. Bring him the one that you can't possibly improve anymore. Yeah. And he'll just go crazy trying to make it better. And Absolutely. that's what he loves. And that's not what I love to do. Yeah. Right. So it's like, cool. Awesome. I, and I won't, but if you do bring him that wrong one, he gets frustrated by it. Like, yeah. why are you bringing me this garbage? And, yeah. you know, so it, what, what a great point you've highlighted around, you know, certain people and certain roles testing optimization versus, yeah. you know, 
finally, you know, taking it to the next level. That's really cool stuff. Man. Yeah. And, and that's why you have an entire field, conversion rate optimization, right? These people right. that love that, they go in there and they're looking for those incremental improvements to, you know, make something better, but it has to have performed, you know, they go yeah. in there, they understand the data behind it, but it's like, oh, this is one of our better campaigns, or this is working. How do we make it better to get those incremental improvements? Love you bring that. that person in there. The growth marketer can do that, but it's, if you're a very bootstrapped team, sure, have them do some of that. But if you're bootstrapped, you're probably wanting to get more revenue, you know, as fast as possible, as opposed to getting, you know, micro improvements, uh, you know, on a blog post that you wrote that has like a CTA, you know, so right. bring on that growth marketer to focus on these, build your revenue pipeline, and then you have another marketer, the CRO, come in here and optimize things. Uh, so you have them focus in different directions. Man, powerful stuff. Dude, who are you is my next question. Just like, oh. who are you? How do you know all these things? Can you take me back in time to like mm. little Andrew days? Did you always know you're going to be, you know, starting companies left and right, selling companies, investing, teaching people how to do marketing? What was it like? Yeah. Um, so, so little Andrew was actually born in uh, Australia, in Brisbane, Australia. Well, my parents, no yeah, my parents were missionaries in Papua New Guinea. And instead of having me in Papua New Guinea, because uh, I mean, the, the medical, you know, it was still <laughs> yeah. kind of rough there. So they, they flew me over to Australia. And so I, I was born in there. And then I spent the first, you know, couple years of my life in Papua New Guinea. Uh, and then as like a missionary kid, preacher kid, right. We, we traveled quite a bit. So we went down to the Mexico border and my parents were over, you know, in the mountains in Mexico, you know, doing their field work, wow, eventually, man. you know, established ourselves there in South Texas. Cause my parents loved it after the field closed up and just kind of grew up down there. Um, I I'd say the, the big thing, the reason I bring that up, uh, it's when you ask, you know, who am I? I'd say. I'm a person that needs to find a way to make a positive social impact in what I'm doing. Uh, that's why I mentioned like with, with World Car, you know, they were trying to change things and really get involved and be a pillar of society and be customer centric and move away from these, you know, negative, uh, yeah. you know, perspectives that are in that, that industry. And I've tried to find that in everything that I'm doing. And that's, that's also one of the reasons that, you know, I founded, you know, Udemoni Health. It's really to find, you know, mind and body wellness for what I call the forgotten generation. And these are, you know, our, our seniors that are in elder care, you know, facilities. Um, but it's, that, that's been my goal uh, is really finding how I can, you know, give back, impact the world. And from a business standpoint, have my f fundamentals there so that I can, you know, live, but also so that I can bring on great people to work with me and continue to make a bigger impact because I can only do so much by myself. When you surround yourself with an amazing tribe of people that can, you know, 10x your impact and are also aligned with that vision, that's whenever that true magic happens. Um, being a marketer, that that just happened out of necessity, I'd say. Uh, it wasn't really the, the path that I thought I was going to go down. Um, my undergrad, you know, I don't come from a wealthy family, you know, missionary, preacher kids, right? Uh, cool. I, I got, got accepted to Baylor uh, University and phenomenal school. It's expensive, though. And oh, like my, my parents couldn't, you know, afford all that. Uh, so I started my own kind of like marketing company didn't know what marketing was. I uh, built people's websites, you know, at the time, you know, using front page, you know, throwback to front, front page, page, man. Totally. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. And so I started charging, you know, customers for that helped build marketing plans back in the day, which I look at those. I even think about those now. They're, they're so bad. I'm sorry to those people I worked with, but uh, <laughs> they, they still, they still paid me and that helped me kind of pay for my undergrad. And get oh, through it without owing, you know, a million dollars, which, I mean, school costs now is crazy, but yeah, without crazy. owing, you know, a ton, a ton of money. Uh, and so that kind of got me into that. And I'm like, oh, people will pay me for this. I should probably learn this and know what I'm doing, what I'm talking about, uh, so that I can actually deliver on this service. And people would ask me to do stuff and I'd, Sure. Yeah, I, I can do it. And I just go research all night, figure it out and then make it happen. That way, you know, they become repeatable, you know, repeatable customer for me. Um, yeah, I the way it kept going this way is one of my clients uh, ended up 
offering me a company called Consult Web's uh, largest legal marketing firm in the U.S. Been around since 1997. They handle like Dude. everything. Huge props. Founded by, I, I believe he was in the Marine Corps as well, by a, by a vet. Uh, so clearly a great guy. Great guy. Great guy. Uh, <laughs> ph- phenomenal company. Great culture. Uh, but they... Since they were a client from an SEO standpoint, uh, they offered me a full-time job and I was married, you know, and I'm like, I need health insurance. That's a thing uh, in the, here in the U.S. So I took that position and that kind of just launched me, you know, down that road. I worked with that company, you know, five plus years, handled bunch of different roles, you know, built out teams for them, became the director of consulting services, uh, launched a creative team with them, moved over to director of marketing for a little bit, and then moved into the SaaS space after that because I was done with attorneys. You know, attorneys are great and everything, but I I was done. Shout out to attorneys. uh, Shout out to criminal law and personal injury attorneys. You know, (laughs) some of them are wonderful people, Uh, but I was, I was like, let's, let's go somewhere else. And so that's what I, I did the shift. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's, it's tough, man. Uh, uh, legal, uh, it's yeah. definitely a battleground for uh, sure. Marketing and in the in the job, but man, so so out of necessity, then at some point you go back and you get a you get a master's in psych. Yeah, yeah, but behavioral economics. Uh, I, I went that route. Wow, I think it was. I mean, it was it was a good over ten years since my undergrad. I'd always talked about you know going back and getting a degree. Uh, you know, I wanted my master's, um, and I saw this program, behavioral economics. And I'm like, that's kind of what I'm doing. You know, it's merging, you know, the, the psychological factors of, you know, decision making and why consumers are out there purchasing with numbers, you know, the economic aspect of that and kind of merging that together. Uh, and that, that really, it was something I was already interested in. And that really helped me kind of build out the, the academic background of it and, yeah. Learn about all these people that I'm like, I didn't even know they were out there. This is amazing. I mean, Dan Ariely with Predictably Irrational, a huge book. You know, Daniel Kahneman, Thinking Fast and Slow. I mean, all these like godfathers of the industry. And I'm just like, this is amazing material. I can't believe I, I didn't find this before. So it it, it was it, it was a great degree. I mean, it took three years, you know, to get through that program. Uh, but you know. Loved it. You know, great stuff. Yeah. And just like if you're having fun working or you're having fun learning, you're not really working, you're not right. really in school. I mean, you're just having fun and learning Absolutely. the process. That's, yeah. that's amazing, man. Yeah, it's cool. So so now you've got two companies. Is it two? Or have I lost count? Is yeah, two, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, two it's, two, it's two right now. Uh, so Wordsmiths, I mean, talked about having an agency early on. It's not the same agency. It's kind of changed. Uh, you know, Wordsmith is now focused on kind of the the way that I've grown most of the companies that I've joined, you know, and it's it's using that, you know, content marketing aspect to build an inbound engine. And so that's what my okay. team focuses on. And it's people that I've worked with in the SaaS space. They've kind of come with me throughout life. Like I talked about having that tribe. Uh, you know, they've joined me and are working with me on this to deliver kind of like the same thing. You could say like a fractional uh, content marketing team that, that comes in here, but also we bring the numbers, right? So we want to make sure that we're tracking things so that it hits your, you know, your revenue goals. So Wordsmith has been around uh, probably like three years or so. Um, and then recently I just launched uh, Udemonia Health and that was back in December. And yeah, bootstrapped as well. But we... Fun- Something I'm learning, I've seen in other companies. I'm going through, you, you know, the the pre-seed, you know, yeah. fundraising call, and I'm talking to VCs all the time. So it's it's interesting to be on that side and actually going through all the conversations. So I'm trying to scale that to really focus on the mental health side, uh, the fitness side that we offer is it's beautiful. It's like low hanging fruit uh, to kind of go in there and help break down barriers and get these individuals that are you know, in their rooms and isolated out and having fun. I mean, fitness, cool, but it, it breaks down things because you're, you're moving and we use like Zumba music and Zumba gold stuff awesome. and, and while they're seated. And so it's, I just watched a video of one of our sessions the other day and it's, I mean, it's almost brought tears to my eyes because they're all dancing and everything. And it's, it's, it's great. It's beautiful. But the other side that we're really going through and we're jumping through the legal hoops for that is to bring on mental health practitioners to really service them. So that it brings in that, not just the body, but the mind yeah. connection. And 
we already know in the U.S., you know, mental health is, I mean, underrepresented. Uh, there are not enough practitioners 100%. out there. And then if you take that slice and just look specifically inside these, you know, assisted living facilities, that's even less represented. So this is an area that needs help. And so that's where we want to help. And that's why I'm trying to make this happen and build this because it can truly change people's lives. And you can look at it and be like, hey, we helped this person. And that yeah. at the end of the day, I mean, it's such a short lifespan, but you could say something like, you know, you change one person's life or two people's lives. And that's, that's great. Man, that's powerful. And it's eudaimonia, right? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. We, we even have the pronunciation on our, on our website and we're putting it on, on our shirts. Uh, it's based off of kind of like Aristotle's uh, philosophy of like eudaimonia, which is having a fulfilled life. Uh, the term literally translates as like a fl- uh, uh, flourishing, you know, flourishing in life. Uh, but oh, we're nice. talking about having that fulfillment and it's not nirvana you know and like joy all the time we understand we go through ups and downs but it's having that fulfillment and that's why we think mind and body together can help bring some of that fulfillment to these people who brought us into the world you know i mean shit so get a little powerful sorry powerful real quick on the on the the content side Mm. who who are uh, people listening right Probably right. looking for some help with content and a little inbound. Who are the right fit? Who's who's the ideal company to work with you on yeah. the Wordsmith side? Well, so our background is all in B two B SaaS, uh, so we primarily work with you know B two B SaaS uh, companies. Uh, for it to make sense, uh, we usually like to work with a company that has at least a million or two million in a, you know ARR, or you've recently been funded uh, about that. And I say recently because. I understand how burn rates work and how fast money can go out the door. So I want to make sure that you know this just came in so that we can help you and you can see, you know, the results within uh, you know a good time period, you know, six months or so, uh, when you really start seeing that traction happen. Right, content takes time. It's an investment. It so, so you don't call you the last month of your runway. <laughs> don't <laughs> reach out now, so yeah. that you don't need to worry about your runway. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And even yeah. if you're, you know, you're doing really well jumping in there and saying, okay, we need this to generate this much revenue within a month. We're going to, we're going to say no, you know, it's just, we, yeah. we want to make sure that we're aligned and that things are working out. And uh, we've been lucky enough to really have almost no churn whatsoever with any of the customers that we've worked with. And they've been around for, for years. So yeah. that that's what we want to do. We want to grow with you. Dude, powerful. Um, I know I keep saying powerful. I'm like, I stopped saying that, but all the things you keep saying, I'm just, man. Uh, so I have one final question for yeah. you. And it's a bit of a hypothetical question oh, because you see, okay. I may or may not have a time machine in New Hampshire, right? Okay. It's in the backyard covered in tarp. So you come visit, we get some beer, some lobster, and we go check out the oh, time machine. Nice. Like, Honey, I'll be back. You know, we'll be back in a little bit. And then sure. we're like, we're back, you know, because it's a time machine. Right. So, but we go back in time. It's a particular kind of time machine where you get to visit yourself. You get to mm. meet yourself four or five days after okay. that undergrad degree, that poli sci degree, bright eyed, yeah. bushy tailed, <laughs> Baylor University, right? You get to meet that Andrew. What kind of things would you tell yourself? You can you can sit down and have a, a little convo. What would you say? Ah. So, so my younger self was uh, very high stress, I'd say, you know, very achievement driven. And I'm still very achievement driven, but I've learned how to manage my stress, I'd say, as best as any of us can. And so I think the, sure. the, the, the first thing that I'd say to him is just, you know, you, you got to just go with the flow. You know, you got to roll with punches. Uh, a lot is not going to work out and that's okay because a few things will. And that's, that's all you need. Uh, don't obsess over things that are not working out. Just take it as a learning, you know, opportunity and kind of, kind of move on. And that's, that's where I've hit a lot of, you know, I think high stress factors when I was younger is I, I just, and we all do this, right? We just ruminate. We sit there and we're like, oh, what if I did this? What if I did that? And that has never been healthy. That has never brought me to a point that I'm like, I feel good about this. It's whenever I just reframe what just happened and said, okay, so that didn't work out. I thought that was the end all be all, but it's, it's, it's not life's still moving on. Uh, mm-hmm. and there's other opportunities out there. Just go make it happen. And 
that's one of the things that I've always liked is I just go out there and you know hustle. I've done so many different jobs out there just to make it work. Uh, door-to-door salesman. I sold newspapers. You know, uh, I've wow. done ton- pizza delivery. You know, after my undergrad. You know, it wasn't streamless to consult webs and working with them. You know, uh, it's so many different things, and a lot of that doesn't work out, but it helps you get to the next stage. And so, just be in it. You know, don't always just see the future. Be in it now. Under embrace the suck, you know, I think as they say in the, the Marine Corps, uh, <laughs> and, and then keep going. Man. Embrace the suck, but be in, be in it now, right? Yeah. Where, where are you at now? Cool. Do, do that. Oh yeah. man, I love that. Knowing that it's building you and eventually you get to that next place, whatever that is. Right. Uh, so good. Where can people reach out? They want to connect social. They want to connect wordsmiths. Eudaimonia, yeah. what are some good places to go? Uh, so I'm on Twitter uh, at A Miller uh, blog. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I probably use that uh, most. And so that's, uh, you know, Andrew Monier or Andrew Miller. Uh, you can also, you know, email me anytime. My email uh, for Wordsmiths is the easiest one is like Andrew at wordsmithsinc.com uh, or Eudaimonia. If you could spell it, it's just A Miller at eudaimoniahealth.co. Beautiful, beautiful. Man, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on here. Thank you. We've talked about so many things from keto chow to to traction channels and and growth marketing and growth hacking and all these things. I learned a bunch myself, uh, so I really appreciate you. No, thank you so much for having me. This, This has been a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Heck yeah. For those listening, if you learned something, and I freaking know you did because I literally have two pages of notes over here front and back, then share this episode with someone else. One person, three people, 9,000 people, knock yourself out. But put your take on it. Put your perspective, what you got from it, what you agree with, what you disagree with. Tag us. We'll both hop in there and comment and make a make a whole fun time of it. And that's that's thought leadership, right? Just getting good information out there to other people. Um, with that, Andrew, thank you again, sir. Thank you, Casey. I really appreciate it. All right, everybody. This has been another crazy episode of the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will see you all next time.